Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen, amen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Great to, uh, to have you with us this morning. I was going to say great to see you this morning, but believe it or not, this is not a two-way camera, uh, which is good for you, right? And uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. I'm uh, excited about this series that we're in called Dear Abba. Uh, because um, we, we based it on this concept of, of relational advice from our Heavenly Father, right, dear Abba. And uh, I did a study, and I don't know what made me think about it, but I, I was just curious about, about uh, you know, where we get most of our information. And I don't know about you, but where I get a lot of my information, I just go online. Um, it is said that we, are, we, we have at our fingertips in this generation, this culture, uh, the, the, really the entirety of human, human information. I'm not sure it's the entirety of human wisdom, but it's information. And so I thought, you know, I, I'd like to find out because everybody, as soon as they want to get an answer, I do this all the time, just get out my phone, I Google it. That's kind of our thing. It's kind of a joke within our staff because I call it the Google. And uh, we just get on there and we check it out. What's interesting is uh, after I did a little bit of study, according to 2018 study that was done on this, over half of the information that is on the internet is actually not produced by human beings. It's called bot-driven. It's just non-human uh, production of material that is online. And so half of everything, in fact, some years, as high as 60% of everything that's online is actually not created by human hands. Now, I'm not smart enough to know how all that happens, but that's, that's what I've been told and as I understand it. Um, so I decided to go to my next most reliable resource, which is Wikipedia, right? Because we're always looking at Wikipedia to get answers real quick. And uh, again, according to a study, 20% of Wikipedia is actually wrong information, which makes sense because at any time, actually, Wikipedia can be edited by the contributors to Wikipedia, which just means human people can go on there and they can actually change the information. So 20% of the information on Wikipedia is wrong, so I decided that I was going to go on Wikipedia and find out what Wikipedia says about itself, and I quote, this is what Wikipedia said about itself. Wikipedia, quote, Wikipedia is not a reliable source. I just started to laugh and I thought to myself, that's kind of like me standing up here and said, don't listen to me, I'm lying to you. And so, uh, so where are we going to go for information that is vital to our lives? Do we go to Google? Do we go to uh, Abby, dear Abby? Or do we go to God? We're going to go to God's Word, because God's Word is the authority for our lives to lead us, direct us. In fact, Scripture says it is useful not only to correct, but to teach. And so we're going to dig into God's Word today. If you have your Bibles with you, turn them to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to get there in a few moments together. And we're going to talk today about how do we do conflict and conflict resolution that is honoring to the Lord and that does not destroy our relationship. I want you to know, fair, this is just information, my wife is sitting right here in front of me. And in fact, I went, I, I cleared all the stories ahead of time this week so that uh, she was aware, she was fine with it. But that's why she's here, because she's going to be smiling, I hope, at me uh, while I share some of this information. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm really excited as God began just to kind of help me. 
Um, we're going to this week talk about conflict resolution. Next week, it's a type of conflict resolution, which is when there's no clear answer and we disagree, how do we, how do we agree or how do we do conflict on disputable matters? Paul says uh, in... Um, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he says, now that's the way we do it, and if, it, that, if you disagree with that, then God's going to make it clear. Well, how do we come to clarity when there's a dispute there? We're going to be talking through some ideas of uh, how to work through hard wounds that we've got in our lives and relationships, and then uh, I'm real excited as we get into June to, to talk about uh, Jesus' model for how we hand off well to our kids, so really excited about where we're going in the future. Now, i got to tell you, um, Tammy and I over the years have, have laughed about a few things, and, and I wish I would have known a few things. We've been married um, now, what, 32, going on 33 years, and there are a few things, because I grew up with six women. I thought I kind of understood how women thought, and I think I kind of do a little bit, but there were a few things that I didn't realize that, that I probably should have known before I got married. For example, when my wife asked me <laughs> How does this look, or how does this look on me? She, she doesn't really want to know. And, and if, by the way, she does really want to know, this is for all of you who are getting married. This is for all of you who are, are just married. Do not be so foolish as to actually tell her what it really looks like unless you can come up with something that's, that's very positive at all times. For example, um, one of the things I, at times, on things that don't look the greatest on Tammy, I will say, oh, honey, only you can make that outfit look that way. And she kind of knows that's my little way of saying, are you smiling? Are you smiling? She's smiling. Uh, but uh, she knows that that's probably not my favorite outfit that I've ever seen. Secondly, uh, and I've learned this probably you learned this a long time ago, and that is, is that when my wife is frustrated or angry or upset at a, uh, about a situation or it's about a friend or it's about something at church, as long as it's toward anybody but me, she does, she does not want me to solve it for her, nor does she want me to tell her how to deal with the situation. All you want me to do is to just listen to you. And, and there are those moments when I actually have learned to just listen, and, and she will, even if it sounds like she wants my, my, uh, my input, even if, if, even if she suggests, please, I'm giving you permission, tell me what to do in this situation, I have, unless you have recorded the conversation and she signs a legal binding document in triplicate, don't do it, don't do it. Uh, it's some of those things that we learn in marriage. By the way, she's got some things I'm sure uh, she could give toward me as well. When we do relationships, there are going to be some ground rules. There are going to be some ground rules that I think are always appropriate. Number one, here it is. The relationship is always more important or of greater value than the issue. There are only a very few cases, and those are built on morality and uh, uh, on, on issues of legality, that I would tell you that that does not apply. But on the 
general, everyday stuff that we deal with, whether it be marriage, whether it be workplace. Now, by the way, there are some times you've got to stand up for some things, right? But I'm just simply saying that the relationship needs to be of incredibly high value. Because if not, it's very challenging to work through conflict. Um, I grew up in, I, I grew up, I, I was born in the 60s, but I really grew up in the 70s and 80s. That was my formational years. And uh, we were just coming to the end of the Cold War. Now, I think everybody understands that. In fact, some of you, I never went through this, but some of you have told me stories about in the 60s, how you used to practice in school, climbing under desks and getting ready if the bomb ever hit or anything like that. That was not, that was not the era that I grew up in. Some of you are post-Cold War, and so when we talk about this whole conflict of nuclear uh, uh, proliferation and those types of things, especially as it had to do with the USSR, which today is, we think of as Russia, that was before the breakup of the USSR, um, the, what, what our reality was is that we heard about it a lot. But the big thing that was happening when we were in high school and, and even junior high was that we would regularly hear on the news, and I would tell you probably a couple of times a week, somebody would talk about how many nuclear weapons we had in the world, and they would, they would share with us that it was enough to destroy the world 40 times over. Now, that's probably still true today, but they were trying to help us understand just how much uh, capability was out there. And the reason for that was to help us to understand that if you got into a nuclear interaction, specifically with Russia at that time, that if you did so, they would simply fire back or vice versa, we would fire back and it would, it would annihilate everybody. It was called mutually assured destruction. And it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense for us to have... Um, to destroy one another, and that's kind of what happens sometimes, that when a person doesn't value a relationship, they will, they'll utilize tactics that, because they don't care if, if it survives, it's kind of, you know what it is? It's like a terrorist bomber who doesn't care whether they survive or not. That's a very dangerous situation. Well, if, if you don't care if the relationship survives, it's very hard to do conflict because you just don't care. So we've got to value the relationship. We've got to value the relationship above the issue. Now there's a second principle that I think is always good for us to understand and that is just simply is that um, that we need to set some ground rules or boundaries when we're doing conflict. Um, there's a reason that there are treaties and there are, there are agreements that have been in place since the early 1900s of how, what kind of weapon we were not going to use because when you use that kind of weaponry, it makes, it makes it so that nobody can inhabit any of the territory. It's, it's what you would call this, it's fighting unfairly. And to use weaponry that is unfair is destructive to any kind of healthy conflict resolution. So it's important to understand those two concepts as we begin to go into this because we want to make some assumptions that we're actually valuing the relationship and that secondly, that we are setting some ground rules or boundaries. Because if we don't do this right, if we don't do this right, what happens is that there are so many unintended casualties. 
Um, I'll call them uh, casualties of war, uh, or you can call them collateral damage. And we oftentimes when we do conflict, we think we're the only ones who do conflict. And yet conflict can have a big impact on the rest. For example, if you work in an office setting where you and an individual, in fact, you might even do conflict in a fairly decent way, but it's very volatile, you have to understand that it also has an impact on the coworkers around you. Um, if mom and dad are doing conflict in an unhealthy way or in an unhealthy place, it has a scarring impact on children. Uh, when churches don't do healthy conflict, not only does it, can it destroy a ministry family, but it can destroy the testimony in the community. And it can impact and destroy families. And so when we don't do conflict in a healthy way, it has a way of, of bringing about damage and killing morale and momentum and stealing the joy in that relationship. Ultimately, it dishonors God, right? But that doesn't have to be that way. Um, I, I wrote down in your notes, if you happen to download them today, I, won't, I wrote this down. Conflict, and you've heard me say this many times, I want to say it again. Conflict is natural, normal, and neutral part of any relationship. Two people with different personalities, likes and desires and goals, eventually need to work through to a common understanding. Those don't have to be bad experiences. In fact, experience has taught me that those, that if we can learn to do this in a healthy way, healthy conflict actually grows us closer to one another. So with that as kind of a background, understanding the relationship is more valuable than just the issue, and that we're going to set some ground rules, I want to take you to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, if you have those, and you may not at first realize or think of how this applies into conflict, but I think it's going to be clear by the time we get through today. Uh, here's what uh, Paul says. If you have any encouragement... From being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now let me give you ground here. He is speaking to believers. I understand that there are some that may be watching today that are not they're not watching from the perspective of being a follower of Christ. You may be exploring. Maybe you just happened upon what we're talking about today. Um, I'm going to apply this to everyone, but every once in a while, I'm going to specifically apply it to believers, okay? Because there's a value system and there's a commitment that as believers we've made, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to detail. But I think this is good for everybody. Everybody can do this. But he's speaking to believers, and he says, if this is who you are, then, then what? He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only after your own interests, but also after the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Number one, first thing I notice in here that's a healthy choice that we need to make in our conflict is I want to identify commonalities. I want to find things that we actually agree with. Now here's the caveat for the, for the believer with a, with, a, with a focus on glorifying God. 
The motivation of my life is that I want everything I do to glorify God, right? And so whether it's as I raise my children, as I interact with them, as I do conflict, but for all of us, find some things that you can actually agree on. Find the common denominators on the issues that you're discussing. Philippians chapter 4, I love this passage. And the reason I love it is because in the, first, uh, in the first century church, they dealt with some of the same things that all of us as human beings deal with. They had some people who were not getting along, specifically in the church. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche. It can be also Sintichi. It can be pronounced both ways. I plead with Iodia and Sintichi to agree with one another in the Lord. Yes. And I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, the people around them, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So what's he saying? They have a conflict going on between them. They are partners in the kingdom of God. They actually are laborers in the harvest field. I think what Paul is saying is, they're not bad people. They just don't agree. Isn't it nice to know that believers in Christ, that we're real people, and that we've been real people since the dawn of the Christian church, since the resurrection of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. And I got some news for you. We're going to be real people until we enter into heaven and God glorifies us in our personhood and that, that disagreement stuff fades away. But I'm gonna guess we'll probably have some times where there's disagreement. And so what we need to do is find the common denominator. If the argument is over the kids, let's agree on something. We love the kids, and we want the best for the kids, and we want safety for the kids. We may not agree on how to do that. Um, if we are arguing over finances, let's find some, uh, some common denominator. Um, I have a, a friend of mine who uh, used to be involved in, in uh, ministry within a church body, and I always loved the story that he told about this because he used to work with a lot of young couples and there are generally three areas of conflict that oftentimes we see within marriage, especially when it's younger uh, in marriage because they're starting to learn how to work on all this stuff. And a lot of times we see disagreements in the area of sexuality. We see disagreements in the area of when it comes to extended family. But we also, the big one, we all, I think we all know what it is. What's the number one conflict in marriage usually? It's money. It's, always, it's almost always money. And so, so he would work with couples, and what he would do in their budgeting is he would help them. He would literally ask them, do you guys agree that we should do this? And so uh, generally speaking, he would ask, uh, do you agree we ought to pay, pay the house payment or the rent? Yes. Do you agree that we ought to go ahead and pay, for, uh, pay our taxes? Okay, you may not like it, but I think we agree you probably should. Uh, do you agree that we should uh, pay the phone bill? Do you agree that we should go ahead and put gas in the car? Do you agree we should pay insurance on the car? Do you agree we should make our car payment if you have one? And he would go down through and he says, you know what I found over the years um, is that most of the arguments that we have about finances are over, uh, are over 5% or less of our budget. Because in most family units specifically, there, there really is not that much discretionary income. 
And if you make $1,000 a week, that's like what? You're arguing over 50 bucks a week. Now ask yourself, are you willing to separate from your spouse over 50 bucks? Now when you put it in that capacity, that sounds really foolish, doesn't it? I hope it does. And if you make 100,000 a year, then you can go ahead and double that. It's 100 bucks. But seriously, you agree on 95%. Where we argue is generally, when it comes to finances, we argue over the discretionary amount, which is not that much. And a lot of times, it's not that we even then argue. It's just that we thought we'd have more discretionary, right? So if we can find common areas, common areas... I'm devoted to you. I love you. I want our family to stay together. I want our church to be healthy. I want our church to be a thriving church. I want to be a church that's missional. I want our company to be successful. I want, to, I want the problem. If, if we can find the common areas, that is the first step in healthy conflict resolution. Choice number two, work then toward a common solution. Now, this is the hardest because conflict that is destructive is always emotional. It's always emotional. There is always an emotion behind it, whether it be anger, whether it be worry, whether it be... And so the hardest thing to do in conflict is to make the conflict non-emotional, which means we've got to take ourselves out of this. The goal should not be, and I don't know if this is on your notes or not, but I'm going to give it to you real quick. The goal is not sabotage, which means undermining the other person. The goal, believe it or not, is not winning. Because if you win, they lose, we lost. Okay? We've got to find a common solution that somehow, sometimes that can't happen. Honestly, sometimes because of the nature of the discussion, there's no way to really compromise. We're going to talk about that next week, by the way. Number two, the goal is not humiliating. It is not humiliating the other person or spiking the football in the old uh, sports adage. And the goal, is, the goal, however, is resolving the issue. It is coming to a it is coming to an agreement where we can both agree on and it will likely not be where either one of you started. Um, many of you have heard over the years um, this is kind of this is I, I'm not saying I'm great at this, but I love studying this stuff. The things on relationship, family, and conflict resolution. There's a lot in my tank because uh, I've been doing ministry for 31 plus years, and I've been doing marriage for over almost 33 years, and I've been doing family for 52 years, and so I kind of this is just something that intrigues me. Um, I will tell you this: I'm really good at conflict except when I'm not. Sometimes I do this really well. Sometimes I don't. The times that I don't, it's always either being driven by my own pride or I'm, I'm just emotionally got rough edges or um, I allow my natural too much space to take over. Ken Sandy... Uh, who wrote The, the Peacemaker. Um, I've done this before with you where we, we draw this big half circle. And he would say that people naturally, naturally, just how they're built, 
will slide to one side or the other of this big hill. Uh, people will either slide to the peace faker side. Peace fakers are individuals who hate conflict. They will run from conflict. They do everything they can to, to, um, to avoid conflict. And they will generally outwardly agree. Inwardly, though, that's where they process conflict. And rather than conflict being outside, the conflict is an inside one that's very tumultuous. The other side of the, that we fall into is the peace breaker side. And the peace breaker side are people who tend to be very confrontive. Uh, they're people that, honestly, their, their, their goal is, I want to win. And depending on where you're at on that scale, you go to extremes to make that happen. Um, sometimes they're very verbal, sometimes they're very loud verbally, and sometimes they even, if you get unhealthy, they'll become very uh, physical. So you can see how both of these sides, they aren't necessarily healthy to a relationship. Now Jesus calls us to do what? To meet in the middle and to be peacemakers, which means we're courageous, we're courageous in conflict. It means that if, we, if somebody has wronged us, and I would say especially to the person who is the peace faker, if a person has wronged us, we need to go to them. Jesus also says that if you have wronged someone else, and I would say this applies mostly to the peace breaker, that if I have wronged somebody else, I need to go to them and I need to apologize. See, there's always this meeting in the middle, and that's not what the context of all today's message is, but I want us to understand that we all have these natural slides. This last week I was talking with an individual, he said within teams, uh, as he's been taught, and I really like these terms, he says some people tend to naturally be bulldozers. And when they're doing conflict in an unhealthy way, they kind of bulldoze over people. And then some people tend to be doormats. And they're people who just kind of let themselves get walked on. And so what we need to do is understand that it takes courage to come to the center and to work toward a common goal or resolution. Now, it's funny because over the years, and, and, you know, Tammy and I, we've had some pretty significant disagreements. Um, I tell you a lot about some of the funnier ones. Like, for the first 15 years of my life, I would laugh and always say that I, it was, the big argument was whether or not I could hit the clothes hamper or whether or not I put the toilet paper on the roll the right way. And uh, I found that the right way to do it is just to put it on the counter because I don't know which way it's supposed to go. I've got it figured out. I've got it all figured out now. I, now I have that all figured out, don't I, babe? I get it all, I get it right. In fact, when I go to homes that you have it on the wrong way, I tend to flip it. It's just because it's in me, right? I just can't help it. It's driving me crazy. Uh, and I feel like I'm going to get in trouble or something. So um, you, we, over the last few months, we found a couple of those little spaces that, that, that I, I found out drive Tammy crazy. Um, and uh, one of them, one of them is, and this is, again, I, we, fair, we, we talked about all this stuff. We laughed about it together as we were walking. Um, I didn't really, I, to be courteous to Tammy, I oftentimes will get dressed in the dark or I will, I will even like brush my teeth and stuff in the morning in the dark. I just do it. I don't turn on lights. That way it doesn't wake her up from the arrest room or bathroom. And um, what was happening was is that some toothpaste would fall into the sink and I didn't see it and, and, and I wasn't cleaning it up and it was bugging her to no end. Um, now let me just tell you, it's real simple. This is easy. Guys, you all know the answer. Clean it up. It's, it's easy. This is an easy one. Just turn on the sink, wash it out, and I just do it automatically. Um, the other one, i got to be honest with you, I pushed back a little bit, uh, but now I just kind of do it. And uh, it's that Tammy has 
Tammy has drawers for all the stuff in the morning, uh, for her hair stuff and for the stuff, whatever she uses on her face. And I think she's got some, she's got some um, uh, uh, jewelry and stuff. I just want you to know, I have one drawer. That's it, one drawer. And for some reason, what my drawer looks like drives her crazy. And uh, so that has been our little battle back and forth a little bit. Now, what's really funny is, let me tell you how number three is going to help answer that question. You're saying these are foolish. Well, I'm not going to give you the deep-seated conflicts in our life, right? But, but these are just little things. Number three, try to give as much as you can. I, guys, if, if you will learn this, and I'm going to apply this specifically to marriage, give as much as you can. Now, I... Look what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, humility. Do you know what it takes to have a healthy team, healthy marriage, healthy church? You gotta, you gotta have people with humility. You gotta be humble enough, and I don't care if you're a peace breaker, peace faker. You gotta be humble enough to consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only after your own interests, but after the interests of others. Now, what does that mean? It means give. Give as much as you can. Now, I uh, put this on my wrist so that I remember it, but now, let me tell you, it just means stretch a little. Okay, got a rubber band up here. And so I need to stretch. I need to give as much as I can, but... You all know that if you play with a rubber band, if you ever did this as a kid, if you play with a rubber band too long and you stretch it too many times or you stretch it too far, what happens? I'm not going to do it because this is a brand new rubber band. It's going to hurt me. It breaks, okay? There is a principle you need to understand because you're thinking to someone right now, yeah, I just wish they'd give a little more. But if you're the only person giving and the other person is always receiving, this thing is going to break, this only works when we're both stretching a little bit. Now, how do we do that? Well, this, this entire conversation has to do with how I view myself and how I view others. Quickly. How I view myself is what? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition means I want to win, and vain conceit means and I care about what I look like doing it. That means it's all about me. So he says you need to make a choice as a believer in Christ to humble yourself a little bit, which means what? Does not mean to become a doormat. It means you need to see yourself for who you are, your beauty, and also your failures. Humility does not mean to be a doormat. Please catch this. This is not about you being a doormat. It means make sure you see both sides of who you are. See your strengths, your, your greatness, your beauty, but realistically see your failures and where you fall short. Because when you see yourself, I think the word for humility, uh, as it was talked about, is the virtue that a, a person sees who they really are. Then he says how you view others is what? Consider them better. 
It doesn't mean they have more value. It means you're cherishing that person, you're elevating them, and you're looking out for their interests. Um, I will tell you, over the years, I have worked with churches, I have worked with couples, I have worked with relationships, and I will give you the absolute key. If you only know one verse on what it means to have healthy relationships, it is Ephesians 5.21. Here's what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit means that I am going to elevate the other person above myself out of reverence, out of glory for Christ. So how does this apply to the foolishness I was telling you earlier about toothpaste in a sink or about a drawer that was cluttered and specifically it all was around my gym toiletry bag because we're not going to the gym. So I have things in there I used, I used every day. I keep my toiletry bag in my um, little uh, little drawer, and when I'm not, and I keep, I was keeping it outside the drawer because it was too cluttered in the drawer. By the way, the solution to that is have Tammy go through and throw half of this stuff in the drawer away. That that's actually the solution. But here's the deal: I, I don't think this ever been contentious, at least on my side. I don't think it ever did. Just submit. Why would I, why would you purposely do something that you know is frustrating or hurting the other person? Why would you do that? Why would I do that with my kids? I'm not saying I never do it. I'm just saying why would I knowingly do that? Why would I do that to my wife? Why, if you, here's the deal. If you love somebody, why would you do that? Love becomes the lowest common denominator. If you can't figure out how to agree on something, love is always the lowest common denominator that if you guys can agree that I'm going to love the other person, I promise you, you can come to an agreement. That's a huge motivator. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's amazing the things that fade away when I just basically say it's that I, I care about them, but I don't care about this issue enough to hurt this person or hurt this employee or hurt this, even within the employee workplace. I often will say this to people is that 90% of the time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally give in to you and what you want. It's one out of 10 times that I care enough that I got to push an issue. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I hope the right person in the relationship hears it. I have found that over the years, there are some people who can only be happy in a relationship if they always win. And if you must always win in order to be happy, you are not in a relationship. You're in a dictatorship. You are an emotional dictator. And I think history has taught us that you can't have a very good relationship with an emotional dictator. And what I'm asking right now is for the Spirit of God to begin penetrating. And I don't think this is everybody. I think just because you have a strong personality doesn't mean you're a dictator. I don't believe that. 
But ask yourself, if you always have to win, and that's the only way you can have a sense that this conflict ended in a healthy way, you will never be in a healthy relationship. You may be married. You may have a boyfriend, girlfriend. You might, you might by the way, I've seen this. This is not a man or a woman thing. I've, I've seen it on both sides. I've experienced it on both sides. If you always have to win and you're a believer in Christ, you need to allow the Spirit of God to begin to do some refining within your soul, which gives us number four, and we're going to close. Number four, I need to ask the Holy Spirit to give me the strength to engage as a follower of Christ. Now, I realize I said beforehand that not everybody's going to watch this thing and not everybody's going to believe, be a believer. I will tell you, there is, a, there is a coming together that can only happen through Christ. I can give you all the techniques, all the coaching tips you want. I will tell you that in Tammy and my relationship, the common denominator is Christ. And we, we know that without that aspect, and there's other things we're common denominators on, but without, that in our, without Christ in our life, there's just so many things we can't do. But I need to make a decision that as a follower of Christ, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me engage as a follower of Christ. And I don't think it is ever inappropriate for me to ask you to do that. <clears throat> that means hostile words or toxic words or angry words, angry being out of control. Hurtful words, out of control spirit, those are out of place. Those are out of place for a follower of Christ. And I believe I put this in your notes, and this is how we're going to close it. Unhealthy conflict, which is destructive, is always caused when one or both persons are not allowing the Spirit of God to have his way. Selfish, sinful, carnal. It's not it is impossible to do conflict in that environment. Now God, by the way, God can bring about health, but it's very difficult when we have that atmosphere within our hearts. When I am allowing my sinful spirit to take over, that's why yielding to the Spirit of God doesn't mean you lose your personality. It means simply that you, you're allowing the Spirit of God to guard your tongue, guard your mind. You're asking Him to lead the way. I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of weeks I've chatted with people about things that just, they, they really aren't big, big issues. They aren't big areas of conflict, but they have caused a little bit of division in relationship. And I just tell people all the time is that love becomes the common denominator. And that when I love someone, I'm willing to do whatever that takes on my side to try to, to meet a need in their life. Even if that means I need to say hard things to them. Even if it means I need to engage and, and have courageous relationships with them. God is the God who wants healthy relationships with him and with each other. 
And I believe with all of my heart, by God's enabling, God's spirit, and God's direction, we can do it. Father, I want to thank you so much for uh, loving us enough to talk about these deep issues. And they're everyday issues. And Spirit of the living God, I would simply ask that you in this day, that if there's a person's face that comes to mind, give me grace and wisdom to know how to engage with that person over the issue, to clarify what it is. And Lord, help me to see myself well enough to know when I'm the person who needs to change. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have an incredible week in the Lord. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.